Recently, I saw two articles that were listing 10 actions that you can take if you're laid off. The articles had a point. When we're laid off, we want guidance. We want to know what to do and how to proceed to get to our next destination, our next job. But do these 10 strategies work? What should you do when you lose a job? You know, even the experts disagree on what to do if you lose a job. And I wanted to discuss these 10 strategies from these two articles on the podcast with you and give my opinion on each one of them. So let's do this. Renata Bernardi, and this is the Job Hunting Podcast, where I interview experts and professionals and discuss issues that are important for job hunters and those who are working to advance their careers. So make sure that you subscribe and follow, and let's dive right in. Before we talk about the 10 strategies, I want to thank you so much. Thank you all the followers, the new followers for being here with us today. If this is your first podcast episode on the Job Hunting Podcast, please remember to subscribe to all of my loyal Job Hunting Army. You are awesome. Thank you so much for all your support, for endorsing us, rating us, writing reviews. I couldn't be more excited and proud of how fast this podcast is growing. I don't know if you know how good the metrics that I'm going to share with you are. If you're in marketing, you probably will understand. But my newsletter has a 48% open rate. It's just insane. I've been working in marketing for years and I've never had an open rate this good. Sometimes it's over 50. It tends to fluctuate between 40 and 50. But for the few last ones, that is being very consistent on the 47, 48%. So it's insanely high. Thank you so much. It's such an engaged community. And if you're not yet subscribed to the newsletter, you can do so. There's a link in the episode show notes or just go to my website, renatabernardi.com. But definitely subscribe wherever you found this. It could be Spotify, it could be iTunes, it could be Audible, it could be, you know, Google. Subscribe, press the button wherever you found this. So Corn Ferry is a consulting firm many of you may have heard of, specialized in helping organizations handle management and organizational changes. So the key issues organizations reach out to Corn Ferry for are general management consulting, digital challenges, executive and professional search. That's why many of my clients have dealt with Corn Ferry now or in the past and recruitment process outsourcing. So for example, if you're a CEO or a C-level senior executive or director, Corn Ferry is one of the executive search firms that you would aim to work with all over the world. They're in over 50 countries. And if you are an expert professional in your field, it could be that you're working in a specific industry that's very specialized. Again, Corn Ferry has a professional search team and they're specialized in finding those in-demand professionals all over the world. And they also are very good at 
wholesaling and scaling recruitment processes. So if you're an organization and you're going through massive growth and you need to get lots of people on board very fast at every level from, you know, very junior staff all the way to senior execs, they have recruitment process rollouts that work, you know, apparently really, really well. Corn Ferry is headquartered in Los Angeles, California. It was founded in 1969. So it's one of those bricks and mortar institutions that has transitioned well to the modern world. They're very popular, very well-known brand. At the time of the recording, it has over 100 offices worldwide. It operates in over 50 countries, like I said, employing over 10,000 people. If you want to see all of the statistics and insight about Corn Ferry, go to their website. You can find it easily. There's a link to it in, in the episode show notes as well. So they have a blog and they publish articles regularly. You can actually follow them on LinkedIn. I would recommend following organizations like Corn Ferry on LinkedIn to see what they're posting. And they recently wrote an article listing five actions that you could take in order to deal with being laid off. And I read the article, had my thoughts about it, agreed with bits of it, didn't agree with other bits, thought it was not very comprehensive. Like if I had been laid off and I looked at that article's title, I would be so excited, but then reading it, I would be like, oh, <laughs> you know, I want more. <laughs> and then I wasn't surprised that a few days or weeks later, I can't remember, it was really fast. They came back with another five actions to take if you're laid off. So it was like a combo, two articles in total with 10 actions. Now, being laid off is, you know, most people would say not exciting. <laughs> Funny story. Some of my clients love it. Very few, but they have a very interesting reaction when they're made redundant or when they leave an organization. Usually things are not working out anyway, and so they're happy to go. If it's a restructure and the position has disappeared, it's being made redundant. It usually has nothing to do with their performance per se. It's just the sort of ebbs and flows of organizational restructure that happen from time to time. And they offer benefits for the people that are being laid off. That helps you plan for being without a job for some time. And some of them can be very generous depending on the country you're in and the laws and the rules are around being made redundant and clients love it. Very few though. I would say like 5%. I was looking at the list of my clients that I've had over the past three years and I would say 5% of clients really love it, <laughs> want the break, want the money, feel confident about moving on. And I'd say about 95% have to go through an emotional roller coaster before they find another job and they go through grieving. And we're going to talk about those emotions as we go through the 10 actions that Corn Ferry has proposed. So I have found as a career coach that usually I'm very busy with one-on-one -on -one consultations towards the end of the year and early in the year from people that have been laid off. I find it really heartbreaking that most people that are laid off are usually laid off at the end of the year. It's very common. It has to do with the end of the company's financial year, which usually tend to be calendar year as well. 
Here in Australia, you know, we do have a bit of a nicky period around June, July, but most people are laid off, made redundant at the end of the year. And it has a financial explanation for it, but it also means that it's Christmas time and it's the holidays and it basically spoils it for a lot of people. People feel, you know, like they shouldn't be spending much. They might have to cancel holiday plans. Christmas is not as exciting and so forth. And I hope that by having a one-on-one consultation with me that it helps them deal with it. So I usually work with clients that contact me directly because they've been let go. Or I, in addition to that, work with companies that want my help as they support their people that are leaving the organization. So that's why I'm so busy towards the end of the year and early January, which is fine by me. I actually don't like to travel during that time. I find it very stressful to travel around that time. And I love Melbourne in summer. So it's our summer here. And I don't really mind helping and supporting people during that time. As somebody that has been made redundant in November, I can relate and I like helping people. That's my job anyway. So I need to be around when people need me. So yeah, usually towards the end of the year, but I have I have noticed that especially 2023, it has like a tail effect. There's a lag effect and I have clients that have been made redundant just last week and I'm recording this in April 2023. And there has been a lot of people that have been made redundant in the first few months of 2023, especially in tech, IT, and fin services. If you're in the US, you're you're going through that economic downturn at the moment. In Australia, we have found people are not losing their jobs as much as in the US, but they're feeling more burnt out and they may, you know, opt out of work because they just can't cope anymore. After extended periods of lockdowns here in Australia, people are feeling like they really need a break. So, you know, when I look back at my career and even earlier than that, my parents' career, my family's career, there has always been ebbs and flows in certain sectors and industry. I remember IT being very bad in early 2000s, for example. I remember working at the university sector in Australia in mid-2000s and, you know, the faculties of IT shrinking and letting go because there were no students that wanted to study IT, study IT at the time. So, you know, that demand for the profession also started disappearing. And then all of a sudden, five years ago, or even a little bit longer, seven years ago, the interest in IT became huge, bigger and bigger. And the faculties of IT all around the world have boomed and they're now oversized and lots of interest for the past five years, I'd say. So those ebbs and flows that kind of self-correct the market a little bit. So I want you to know that there will always be in everyone's careers, ebbs and flows, ups and downs. And if you have been let go now or in the past, it's okay. It means that you're going through a downturn and there is a crisis and we are going to overcome that. And maybe one year, two years, three years from now, you're going to look back and say, oh, all right, you know, I remember going through that and it happens and it could happen again. That's the other thing. The better prepared you are, 
the better for you. And you can also help others that are going through this. And not, I don't want any professional to feel like they need to disappear or fake it or feel rejected by the job market because what people don't realize is that most professionals will go through situations like that at some stage of their careers. So message from me here is ups and downs are normal. We forget to pay attention to them when it happens to other people. We just see other people's successes. We have that biased view about people around us and we tend to focus on how successful they are and we tend not to think about the times when they weren't doing so well. Then when it happens to us, we feel horrible, we feel alone. <laughs> and like I said, you know, some people have an interesting reaction to it where they can see in the horizon the opportunities of being laid off. And I find that most people tend to have a negative reaction to it, but they overcome it and they learn to love it. And they look back at the times when they didn't have a job and they say, oh, I should have enjoyed it a little bit more. <laughs> have you felt that? I hear from my clients all the time. Now I know what you mean. I should have enjoyed it more. Okay. So the first action that Corn Fairy is suggesting. By the way, I feel like I'm doing a reaction video. It's not a video, it's a podcast, but you know what I mean. You know, when you go to YouTube and people are reacting to other people, I find it quite funny. So maybe that's what I'm doing. All right. Number one from Corn Fairy, take a break, really. So that's how they headlined it. Take a break, really. I agree 100% with taking a break. In the paragraph below that heading, though, they didn't really focus on taking a break. And that's when I had an issue with it. So they're saying here, you know, unless you're under substantial financial constraints that will force you back into the job market immediately, experts suggest taking a pause. A little break can allow you to take stock of what you've done, figure out where you want to go, and crucially, craft the story with which you'd like to move forward. Don't rush without understanding what your narrative will be and what your corresponding resume will look like. So the thing about taking a break, however, that I think wasn't really captured in their advice is this. You need to take a proper real break, like in a wintering kind of concept, like in a hibernating kind of concept. Right? of passage like this are important and you will grieve and you will feel many emotions. And ideally, you don't want to be thinking about your next move and crafting a story because that story and that narrative will be tainted with your emotions for some time. I recommend at least a week. I prefer that my clients take at least three weeks off if they can afford it. I understand that financially you may not be able to, but I want you to at least understand that your decision-making during that time of stress and sadness and being upset may impact your decision-making and the decisions you take. And I want you to be careful, maybe find somebody to run ideas by so that you are making the best ideas for your future. You will see that if you are able to, if you can afford to take those three weeks off, you are going to do a better 
recruitment process and job hunting process after that. It may sound counterintuitive, but taking a break actually resets your brain, re-energizes you, makes you more productive, you'll be sleeping better, and so on. I'm working with a client at the moment, and he has taken a long break. So in April, he lost his job in December. And he's only now looking for work. And when I spoke to him and and I asked, you know, how are you going? And he said, I'm sleeping better. I'm dreaming again. It took me a long time, but I finally know what I want to do next. And it was because I wasn't rushing into it. And I so admire people that can do that. And you may think that you can't afford it, but I want you to make sure that you can't. Sometimes I talk to clients and they say, oh, I can't afford it. And I'm like, okay, tell me about your finances. And then I find out that they can't afford it. They're just worried about not having a job and what it means to the world. And, you know, we've been educated to always be at work. So I want you to be tough on yourself and understand that taking time out is actually really important for you. So my take is this, take an actual break, like the headline says in this article. Then, you know, the second step here that I think is not included in this paragraph is sort of splitting things up, right? Take an actual break, if possible, three weeks, at least a week for you to relax and go through the emotions and not have them tainting your decision making. Then work on a plan for your future. Only then work on a narrative because the best narratives are re-engineered from your future goals. That's how you decide on the next best steps for you. They are not a consequence of your past. They are an activity that you do based on where you want to go next on your future. So future thinking about your career, long-term planning comes after the break and only then you would work on your narrative. So I want you to be proactive about your future jobs and not reactive about your future jobs. All right, number two, I will link the two articles from Corn Ferry, of course, in the episode show notes, so you can read them there as well. So number two from Corn Ferry, prep a backstory. They say here in the article, you need a good, crisp explanation of what transpires. And Here's an example of a narrative you can share with prospective employers. So this is from the article. You were part of a broad economic business cycle in which companies overhired and then scaled back. You can use this narrative to pivot to explaining what you were able to accomplish in your role. I like that idea of focusing on having a backstory prepared and not brainstorming it on the spot at the job interview. So my take is, yes, I agree with this advice. I want you to be careful, however, not to sound like a character from Succession. You know, the TV show where they (laughs) talk about work all the time using what I call cultural codes. It's basically jargons and words like circling back and stuff like that. When I read this, you know, I felt like lots of the business is scaling back and pivoting. And I don't know, I don't like those words. I have to be honest with you. I spend a lot of time working with clients on preparing a backstory and working on narratives. I was just with a client right now who's been working with me for a while and his pitch is really good. Like I told him, the 
what you need to do next with your pitch is just go out and test it. But he keeps coming back and saying, look, I thought about this other thing and maybe removing that. And I agree with clients like that. I love clients that preload the work and so that when they when go out to market, they're not plasticky and artificial and reading from a script. That's not the point. But they have worked on their pitch and their backstory so much that they can just say it. It flows out of their mouth without them having to think about it because they've prepped it. They said it out loud. If they're working with a coach, they said it out loud to the coach. They got feedback from the coach and they're ready to go to market with it. So be careful with the words you use. Be careful not to sound too generic. Be genuine and as much as possible, be vulnerable. I recently discussed in a previous podcast, I will link it below, it's number 172. I discussed an article from the Harvard Business Review on, the article was on how to address a weakness at a job interview. And it just made me think of this, you know, when you're preparing a, a backstory when you've been laid off and you might see that as a weakness. The advice in that Harvard Business Review article was very bad. <laughs> it was so disingenuous and so terrible that if you go on Instagram and you look at the comments, a lot of people have identified that the advice given in the article was bad. And a lot of professionals in HR commented on Instagram. I actually forgot to see it on LinkedIn. It's probably there as well. But on Instagram, a lot of HR professionals said, look, I am an expert interviewer. I do not agree with these points. And I, ideally, what you want to do is be as genuine and vulnerable and practical and don't worry too much. People are way more interested in what you can do for them in the future than what happened to you in your past. They want you to move on and you need to understand that sometimes those sort of concerns live more in your head than you, in, and not in other people's heads, right? So something to think about, but definitely I like what they said, you know, in terms of having a crisp explanation of what transpired. I like that word crisp. Crisp is good. So just to finalize this, working with a coach could help you unlock the answers to those difficult questions. You need to come to terms with what happened to you. You need to know what happened to you. You need mentors and former colleagues who can be honest with you on what you excel at work and what you could use some help with, you know, what you could delegate or escalate or try not to apply for jobs that include those responsibilities. So all of those things are important to brainstorm and reflect before you go to market again, because you can learn from these situations. You know, a lot of people say this, oh, you learn from failure, but this is how you learn it. You learn by analyzing it and knowing what you can do differently next time and focus on the success patterns of your career and remove the areas of your career where you don't thrive and you're not interested in. The third action from the Corn Ferry article is this, network like it's your job. And here's what they say in the article. Because networking is your job, people always tell me that they are busier now than when they were working full-time, says the writer. That's how you know you're doing it right. Contact all former bosses, colleagues, and employees with whom you have worked well. 
let them know what types of roles you're interested in and ask them who else they'd suggest you to speak to. They say you should not be embarrassed to call them and say, I've left the organization. Have you heard of anything opening? Would you recommend me? And so on. Now, this is my take. This is when things get complicated in my view, because I work with clients all over the world, including the United States and other countries. And this advice I find is fine for the United States, but not for Australia, for example, or the UK and many of my clients that work in Southeast Asia. I think that there is a more subtle way of networking that I recommend for clients that are not in the US. If you're in a hurry to find a job, I understand, but being too transactional when you're networking will not help you move things faster right? So that's how I feel. And I feel that there are some things that culturally are okay to do in some countries and not in others. So yes, for networking, it should be done, in fact, all the time, not just when you need a job. If you have a huge gap in your networking efforts and you haven't done much networking at all for the past few years, and now you don't have a job, then look, there's nothing you can do to change that. But from now on, just learn that lesson and keep networking going and happening in your career at all times. It's like brushing your teeth. It's a routine that needs to be implemented and time needs to be carved out for it. Now, what it means, if you haven't done any networking for a long time, it means you may need to be more patient. It means that you may need to be more active on platforms like LinkedIn, understanding how to optimize it and automate it. It means you may need to make sure that your resume and your cover letter and your job applications are ATS compliant. That means that they can be read well by softwares when you apply for jobs. And because the networking may take a while to pick up if you haven't nurtured it for a long time. And that's the truth. Okay. You can speed it up. And I have techniques that I work with my clients to speed it up, but they are not sped up by being transactioning and asking for help and asking for recommendations and so forth, because it's too much all at once for people that haven't heard from you in a while. So just be careful with that. If you have been networking for a long time, you will find that as soon, this is the litmus test, everybody, you will find that as soon as people know that you're available, you will be bombarded with opportunities. Now, have you been in that situation? Because if you have, that means that people know you, your reputation precedes you, you are top of mind, right? So I have a client and she lost her job recently and she has already been contacted by recruiters that know that she's available and know of her as a great candidate to have on a short list. She's been having coffees with recruiters. She's been approached by former colleagues and employers to work for specific projects. And, you know, that's happening to a couple of my clients. That means that they have a network that is active, that is warm. You know, a warm network is different from a cold network. So just something for you to consider and understand about how networking works. So my final thoughts about this is, yes, networking should be done at all times. If you have a huge gap, that's okay, but be patient. 
listen more and ask less. You're there to gather intelligence, ask how they're doing, ask about their jobs, ask about their industries. And instead of asking for help, ask for advice. What advice would you give me if you were in my place? People love mentoring, but if you ask for help, it might be too much too soon. All right, moving on to number four. So this is what Corn Ferry has written in the article as number four actions that you can do if you are laid off. Find organizations that thrill you. Go to the company's website and look for openings. Jump on LinkedIn to see if any old colleagues or alumni of your school work there and reach out accordingly. They suggesting that this type of networking is called semi-warm because it's with colleagues or alums who are likely to respond. Trying something like, hey, we worked studying together. I'm really interested in this role. Would you be available for a quick 10-minute call to tell me about your experience at the company? So again, I partially agree with all of it. <laughs> and I partially disagree. <laughs> all right, so let's go. What I agree is, yes, find organizations that thrill you is super important. Well done, Corn Ferry, for recommending that because I find that most people are very reactive when they are looking for work and then just go looking for whatever they can find instead of having a strategic list of organizations that they would like to work for. So yes, for the job market research, 100% agree. Again, you know, Culturally, sometimes asking too much too soon of your old colleagues and alumni of the schools you've studied at, depending on the country you're in, it may not be culturally the right thing to do. So just consider that if you are not in the U.S. In the U.S., alumni is super important, and we've discussed that in a previous episode of this podcast. I will link it below and how important it is to include alumni as part of your networking and how much easier it is to network with alumni if you're starting from scratch. So things you can ask if you have friends and colleagues that work in organizations that you are in your target list is the culture, the purpose, diversity and inclusion, innovation, whatever it is important to you. You know, you can find those organizations as well based on rankings, based on awards. Corn Ferry, for example, if you go to their website, you will see that they are a great place to work if you're a woman. If you like diversity and inclusion, they, they mention that a lot. So you can go to websites or you can look for rankings and awards and websites like Glassdoor. You can also look at expenses. So personally, I've always been interested in my career before I became a coach in organizations that invested in R&D, in research and innovation, because I was interested in that area that was important for me. So I would look at their expenses and if they had an innovation team, if they have an AI team, then that would be a great place for me to work personally. So you can look for that in news as well. You know, you can set up Google Alerts. So finding organizations that thrill you and being proactive about where you want to work is super important. So over the weekend, I worked with a client and that's exactly what we did. You know, we found all the organizations that we could think of top of mind. And then we used Google and ChatGPT to find equivalent organizations. And we built a very thorough list that he's now following on LinkedIn. 
Be careful with your approach when connecting about roles with people that you know that work in those organizations. But yes, do your research, try to find someone that works in the organizations. And if you feel comfortable reaching out to them, then do. Because for them, there is potentially an incentive on their side in recommending great candidates for roles. Many organizations have that where they incentivize the staff to come up with recommendations when they're hiring people, especially if there is high demand for specific professionals and it's hard to find them. And yeah, so they will incentivize and give that person a bonus if they end up hiring the person that they recommended. All right, number five, they are suggesting this. They say, inch your way in. So Corn Ferry wrote, the ideal company for you might not have the perfect job opening right at this moment. Doesn't matter. Inch your way in, they say. They wrote, propose a consulting gig or a project that the company might undertake. Maybe they can't hire you full-time right now, but they do need help with this specific thing. Short-term gigs can be fun and a good way to stay relevant and in view of potential employers. 100% agree. I don't think there's anything here. There's no buts. <laughs> there are no buts from Renata. I 100% agree. So in order to do this, you will see that I have done lots of episodes on this. Just the one two weeks ago with Bob Jordan is incredibly useful if you're interested in contracting work, in working part-time as a senior executive or professional. Go listen to that. It's episode 180. There's another one with Joel Mullins, 164, How to Be an Outsider and Job Hunt Successfully. We tap on entering executive work as well. If you go to my blog, there are articles that Joel have written about it. So go have a look at that. In order for you to approach organizations and introduce yourself as somebody who can support them in many different ways, including under a contract or consulting part-time work, you need to have great networking skills. You need to be persuasive and even seductive and, you know, as part of your pitch to them. Plus, you need to have the skills, the knowledge or connections that they may not have. So in my personal career, for example, I once had several discussions with a large management consulting firm and we had several discussions. They couldn't afford me full-time and they offered me a part-time role and it was really exciting and tempting. It was a great team. I have very high regards for the partner that would be my boss and I almost accepted it, except that just before I did, Monash offered me the role that I had. It was my last role before I started this podcast. I was made redundant from that role, but I really wanted that role. It was an exciting opportunity for me. And, and my goal was to get that opportunity. So when I got the job offer from Monash, I said no to this part-time gig with this organization. But, you know, I would have said yes. If Monash had said no to me, I would have said yes to this. It happened because I knew the partner. They knew me. They knew I was available. They called me in for a conversation. They asked for a proposal. I wrote a proposal. I presented it to the team. So it took a while because it was not something that was 
there waiting for me. We had to carve it out, both of us, that he did, you know, have to find the money and the means and the willing people inside the organization to back up his idea. And I had to present and persuade him that I was the right person to step in and, and support them. So I have clients doing that at the moment. And they are working one day a week for one organization, two days a week for another organization, doing, you know, lecturing at the university and so forth. And amalgamating all of these opportunities gives them a great salary in total, <laughs> probably higher than they would have with a full-time job. And you may think, oh, you know, that sounds like it's risky. It's not, because if they lose one of these opportunities, they still have the others. And it's quite interesting these days. So something to consider, listen to the other episodes and understand how the gig economy is working for corporate professionals and senior executives because it's growing and you might step into some an interesting trend all right then what happened was that was the end of the first article okay great a few days later like i said i saw another one from corn fairy with five more actions you can take if you're laid off and i was like oh this is super interesting the authors were different so the CEO of Corn Ferry was one of the authors and a career coach that works at Corn Ferry was the other author. And I can just see this panning out internally. You know, the article went off and the title was super exciting. And then people internally said, oh, well, wait, <laughs> we have more to say about this. <laughs> this can't be the end of it. This is incomplete. And I felt the same. So when I read it, it finished and I was like, oh, this wasn't really what I was expecting. I was expecting more. So I'm glad that they did a second list. And I actually like the second list better. I think that they went through the first article and said, okay, where are the gaps? What else can we do here? <laughs> and they made a second list that you will see. I have more regards for, for the second list. Both lists were great, you know, but the second list is better. All right. So the first one in the second list, I'll call it number seven because they're 10 in total. Oh, wait, no. I'll call it number six <laughs> because they're 10 in total. Okay. Number six, absorb and process the news. So this is interesting because it's dealing with exactly what I said about my criticism to number one, which was in the first article, right? It says, Everyone responds differently to the news that they have been laid off. If you've been at the company for a long time and have felt a sense of loyalty, the sense of rejection and hurt can run deep. If you've known this reduction in force has been coming for a while, you may shrug it off as a business reality. And that's true. You know, some people have been informed months and months beforehand that they will be laid off or this find out the day before or the day of. It's really different. My take on this is this. The author here is a career coach and the CEO of Corn Ferry. And they went on and said, okay, let's do this right. Let's write, you know, what we really know happens to people that have been laid off. We need another article. And they've done a good job with this action here. But they say many people respond differently to the news. I'd say a lot of people respond very similarly to rejection, even if you know in advance 
look, it sucks. So I disagree with that. I know what they're trying to say, but the truth is, even when you know, my experience says people usually need some time to get over it and ruminate and reflect and understand and move on. So give yourself time to grieve. Go through all of the emotions. Give yourself permission to be human before going to market. This is super important. You don't want to sort of brainstorm this with the recruiter. You want to brainstorm this hopefully with a mentor or a coach or somebody that will listen to you without judging, without telling you it's time to move on, okay? That's not what you need when you're going through the emotions. You need somebody to just tell you, I know how you feel. Yeah, you know, it sucks. That's what you need. <laughs> and I'm glad it's now on the list, okay? All right, number seven, get clear on your direction. While being laid off, feels like a setback, it can be a great opportunity to intentionally take stock of where you've been in your career and where you're going. And they say here, try journaling or reflecting on whether you really enjoyed your last job. This is so true. So when I was laid off at Monash, even though I really wanted that job, it got to a point where it was so stressful for me to do the work at the time that I remember feeling really unhappy after I was laid off. And then if I was, because I, I'm good at journaling, you know, I, I love coaching and I've been studying this for a long time. I thought, okay, on a scale of one to 10, I'm here sitting at a three. I'm feeling miserable. But if I'm honest with myself, I was at a three the day before I was made redundant. Like <laughs> I wasn't happy either, right? You know, it's a different type of sadness, of course. You know, I was stressed. I was concerned. I was worried. I was trying to save other people's jobs. It was really stressful. I didn't see mine being on the catch list, but I understood that, you know, we were going through a restructure. So I was trying to save my team. I was under a lot of pressure and not very happy. And, you know, the number three after the redundancy was like, oh, I was feeling rejected and, you know, like I hadn't done my job well, which is not true. It's a restructure and my job ceased to exist. So even if you are fired because things just didn't work, you didn't go well during the probation, see this as a sign. Okay, that there are other opportunities there that will suit you better, other organizational cultures, other managers, other ways of working, sometimes even other careers that will suit you better. There's nothing wrong with you. It's just a time where you can sit and reflect and doing that journaling and reflection is so important because all of these ideas, they shouldn't be living in your head. Your head is filled with all sorts of different voices and some of the voices can be very mean to you. So if you only sort of think about these things, you will end up feeling overwhelmed. Whereas if you start putting pen to paper or typing in your computer, you will find the truth. You will find the core of the issues and the core of what you want out of your career. Believe me. And if you don't, just try it. Give it a go. You have nothing to lose. It costs you nothing. Number eight is very similar to number seven. In my view, it almost could have been the same because number eight in the Corn Ferry second article is build your dossier. It says once your targets are identified, it's 
absolutely imperative that you customize multiple resumes, your LinkedIn profile, and your cover letters for a specific job you are after, for the specific job that you're after. Career experts say targeting includes picking the right format, keywords, content, and so on. They also recommend including a short summary section that calls attention to a couple of, of the most important points. And they say, yes, this is a lot of work and job hunting often feels like a full-time job. And I smile, I'm smiling. And the reason why I'm smiling is my group coaching program is going through that at a time. So yeah, I absolutely think this is an, an important step. I, in fact, have a formula to doing the dossier and to get that clear direction from journaling. It's called Job Hunting Made Simple. And all my private clients go through this roadmap that I've devised and all of my group coaching participants go through it as well. And as I record this podcast, I'm in week five of seven weeks of the group coaching program. And it's things are starting to get real. Like, you know, we're doing all of that, you know, all of that consolidation of multiple resumes and creating master documents. I call them your collateral. So you already devised your strategy by doing that clarification and having that sense of direction. And I'm all about career planning and design and thinking both long term and short term about your next move. Right. So. That's your strategy. If you work in the corporate world, you know you don't build an operational plan without having a strategy first. And that's the same for your career, right? So your operational plan for your career are your documents, your collateral, your pitch, your LinkedIn profile, your resume, and so forth. So all of that in the Job Hunting Made Simple program, which is my program, we call it a personal portfolio a personal portfolio. And once you build it during the group coaching or as a private client, you then have it for life and you can go back to it over and over again. It's not a crystallized document. It's a portfolio that you go back to and you revise it and you review it and you update it. You know, you change it. You think about something that you hadn't thought about before. You go to your portfolio, you add that note into your portfolio. So it's very structured it's very impactful, it's forward-looking, it's forward-planning, it's planning for your career in the long-term and short-term. We also do assessments and, you know, and, and, and all of that kind of validates your thinking. So I, I ask my clients to, to write and journal and answer specific questions that are part of their personal portfolio. It's all very structured. And then after they've done that, we do the strengths assessments and then that kind of validates what they've written down. Sometimes they're surprised by what they find in the in the strengths assessment reports, but most of the time it really validates and provides them with a narrative and a more sort of scientific explanation of what they believe their talents are and their career drivers and their personal values. So it's really exciting to do that with clients. I love it. As you can tell, I get really excited. Okay, so number nine, we're almost done. Number nine in the second article on what to do if you get laid off is hire a coach. Now, this is interesting. It's important to know <laughs> what you do and don't know when it comes to job search. That's in the article from Corn Ferry. And they go on about the importance of, you know, working with a coach and and no matter what your circumstances, this is a great time to hire a coach. It helps you understand the best practices and so on. 
And look, yes, they definitely saw that these articles were a great way and a missed opportunity with the first one to plug their services. They have career coaching at Corn Ferry and they were probably, you know, using this opportunity to sell that to the readers. And I agree. I am also a career coach. And of course, I will tell you, this is a great time to get a career career coach to support you. That's my job. That's what I do. I absolutely 100% believe it and I can see the results with my clients. But I also have done an episode on this podcast where I explain that sometimes coaching is not for you and it won't work for you. And I want you to listen to that episode. So that is episode 132, When Coaching Doesn't Work. I also have an episode called Career Coach, What They Do and Why You May Need One. That's 159. So if you're interested to know about coaching and how it can help and maybe why you need it or why you don't need it, 132159 would be great episodes to listen to. I will have links to it in the episode show notes, of course. And, you know, I could be telling you, you know, know, what I do, etc. But you can go to my website and see all my services and read the testimonials that are there from my past clients on how my coaching helped them. It's much better (laughs) for me and for you to read how it actually helped real people rather than me telling you how good a job I do. So I would recommend you to go to my website and learn more about my services because I have services at every level, you know, every investment appetite or budget level. And you can plug in play. You don't have to do a three-month or six-month coaching program with me if you find that that's too much of an investment for you. There are different ways of engaging a career coach. I have created different ways of engaging with me that might be better for you and more suitable. So have a look at that on my website. There's a link in the episode show notes. Number 10, don't trash your old employer. Absolutely 100% agree. And sometimes we know we're not supposed to do it, but it comes out of our mouths anyway. I know because I've, you know, interviewed lots of people and yes, and it happens. So in the article, Corn Ferry says, no matter how burnt you may feel by your old employer's handling or mishandling of its layoffs, your job hunt isn't a time to complain or spill juicy gossip. And they go on and and explain it. I'm not going to read everything because I know you get it. Here's my take. Recently, I've been working with a client and it's not my first rodeo doing this. I've worked with lots of clients, helping them answer the difficult questions, the questions about why they left, why they resigned, why they were made redundant, why they were laid off. It is an important preparation. It needs to be done before you walk in to talk to a recruiter. It's worth, it's worth spending time with a coach to get it right, okay? Even if all you can afford is one hour with me, you can buy that on my website and, and book and so on. It's really important. It's not just what you say. It's how you react to the question. It's your body language. It's your tone. People's tones change when they're talking about things that are uncomfortable, the words you choose, right? So working on that narrative is so important. Now, 
I hope you've enjoyed this episode. And if you are looking for work, I have a great free workbook and masterclass that I designed for professionals like you. The first time I ran this masterclass, which I've done a couple of times, was guess which time of the year? December. It was in December. So it's a time when a lot of people get laid off. I understand that now as I record this episode, it's April. We're going through difficult times and challenging times in some industries around the world. And if you are in transition and looking for work, then I would strongly recommend that you download this free workbook and listen to the masterclass. It's called Optimized Job Search. It's a workbook and a masterclass. In the workbook, it includes three weekly schedules that you can choose from, a full-time job search schedule, as well as a part-time schedule and a light schedule. This way, you can see the distribution of tasks that you need to do to optimize your job search. And the masterclass will give you more insight and more detail on each of those tasks and why they are needed as part of your weekly job search efforts. All my clients use this. Very, very popular resource here on this podcast. Maybe you already have downloaded it. So if you haven't used it in a while, go back to it very popular with my followers and and podcast listeners. I always get good feedback from the optimized job search workbook and masterclass. You can download it from my website is on my front, you know, the homepage. You can just scroll just after my picture. It's the first thing that you will see. Very easy to find. Also, there will be a link to it in the episode show notes. All of the things that I've mentioned in this episode are linked below. The two articles will be in the episode show notes, as well as the links to the podcasts that I have mentioned and a link to subscribe to the newsletter if you are not a newsletter subscriber yet. If you don't want to do any of that, just click subscribe so that my next episode will show in your podcast feed next week. We published every week and I hope to see you back. Bye for now. I hope that you enjoyed listening to the 10 actions suggested by Corn Fairy and my reaction to them and my advice. I thought it was fun. I really enjoyed recording this episode. If you are looking for work, I have a great free workbook and masterclass that I designed for professionals like you who are in transition and looking for work. It's my optimized job search workbook and masterclass. The workbook includes three weekly schedules that you can choose from, a full-time job search schedule, as well as a part-time and a light schedule. So there's one for every one of you. This way you can see the distribution of the tasks that you need to do when you're job hunting and the masterclass will give you more insight and detail on each of those tasks and why they're needed. All my clients use it. It's a very popular resource among my followers and the podcast listeners. So it could be that you already downloaded it. If you haven't used it in a while, go back to it. Download it from my website, renatabernardi.com. It's on the homepage. It's easy to find. There's also a link to it in the episode show notes. In the episode show notes, you will also find the two articles from Corn Fairy that we reviewed today, as well as all the links to other episodes that I've mentioned here today. 
Ciao for now. I'd love to see you here next time. Remember to subscribe and follow us. There will be another episode in a week's time. And then also a big backlog of episodes for you to go into if you're new. Bye for now. See you soon.